This June, me and my team headed back to New Hampshire to visit Porkfest, an annual festival for libertarians, free staters, and pretty much anyone who wants to live their life free on their own terms. It's an amazing event filled with all sorts of interesting people. This is one of the conversations I had there. Welcome to Kibbe on Liberty. Hey guys, this uh, this is a spontaneously emerging conversation with uh, the movers and shakers of the New Hampshire New Hampshire Mises Caucus, New Hampshire Libertarian Party, and uh, I guess the LNC National, the Libertarian Party at a national level. So welcome. Thanks, Thank Matt. Thanks for, for having us. Thanks for having us. Um, I wanted to to talk about this this thing that we're all talking about in the Libertarian movement, the Mises Caucus. And you guys just got back from Reno, Nevada, and everybody knows by now that the Mises Caucus and the organizers kind of ran the table and they replaced the entire leadership and they replaced the, the, the Libertarian National Committee. Um, let's start with um, just a little bit of background of each of you, and I'll, I'll, I'll start with you, Robley. I'm Nolan. Oh, Nolan. Yeah. <laughs> I've, uh, like do you mind? Do you mind changing your name? But no, it was yeah. not a problem at all. Uh, Nolan, so you've you've been in New Hampshire and 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 running the Libertarian Party here for a long time. What what's your story? Uh, I've been a chair for about well, now it's probably a little over a year. Um, I I've moved to New Hampshire about twenty years ago. I'm a mass transplant. Uh, I moved here, you know. I know that you're probably familiar with the FSB since you're here. Uh, I did not move with the FSB. Uh, I moved independently. I knew of it, but not for, you know not with them. And um, s small business owner. Uh, part of the reason I actually wanted to be in more involved in politics was the response to uh, the COVID regime and everything that went down. So that's really what kind of forced me into it, and that's what made me uh, take up that role. Uh, in all honesty, I said as chair for more than a year and a half. I was actually, I started off as vice chair. Um, we had the coup last year, which I'm sure you're aware of. Uh, everyone was thrown out of the party. Uh, once we kind of got that squared away, I ascended to chair and uh, here I am. Robley. Well, I moved to New Hampshire in 2003. I was an early free state project participant. And what, um, what happened in the past couple of years, both with COVID, it's a similar story to Nolan's, both with COVID and the coup made me realize that it was time to get more heavily involved in the Libertarian Party uh, just to right the wrongs that were done in the LP and to work on making sure the COVID responses don't happen again, uh, at least as much as we can do in New Hampshire. So yeah. That's, that's what really woke me up to so, so this story sounds quite familiar yes um ben yeah so um i was actually born in new hampshire but uh, my parents moved to maine when i was an infant but i moved back about six years ago and not with the free state project specifically but uh when the mises caucus first started getting organized uh, in late 2019, I guess, they asked me if I would be the organizer for the state of New Hampshire. So I agreed to do that. And in 2020, I went to the state, El the, the New Hampshire State Convention, which was a presidential election year. So we had the candidates and debates and so forth. And I found, I didn't know anyone ahead of time. I found 
four, I think, four people who were sympathetic with the Mises Caucus. The following year, we had started to get more organized and had a couple of meetups, and I think we had about 35 people who were Mises Caucus, which was more than the number, the total number of delegates at the 2020 convention, even in a presidential year. But we didn't have a supermajority, we had a majority. And then this past year, um, we had probably 55 out of 58 of the delegates, and it was the largest state convention since, in the, in, at least in the last 20 years. So that's kind of how it's, how it's grown. So, so why do you guys think that um, the Mises Caucus is bringing people out? Well, I think that I think people really respond to the message. You know, we're very strong on anti-war. We're very strong on uh, localism and decentralization from Washington. Um, we're very strong on, non, on the, the non-intervention, the drug war, the Fed, basically all the things that Ron Paul stood right. for. So I think that message resonates with people. But honestly, I think personally, I think the main reason for our success is at least here in New Hampshire, we have such a strong community. And when we have a meetup, we'll have 40 or 45 people show up from all over the state. And right. it, it's just like you're with your family. Like we have the best time and, you know, everyone's happy to be together. And I, I honestly, I think that sense of community is really what gave us the energy to, uh, you know, be able to accomplish what we've done. So. Yeah, I love, I, love, I love hearing the C word because libertarians are infamously um, individualistic um, right. and, and once in a while we fight with each other, but there's, there's a real sense of uh, power that comes from actually getting together and agreeing on a couple things that really matter and, and maybe agreeing to disagree on all the other stuff because, I mean, social movements start with community. That's right, and if, if you're... Um, this is more of an FSP than LP oriented thing I'm about to say, but if you're the kind of classical, you know, weaponized autiste, as Michael Malice says, libertarian, and you move to New Hampshire, you may find yourself with the largest community of friends that you've had in your life and ever experienced. The community is very strong here. I mean, just as, as you look around, you know, Porkfest, this is kind of a microcosm of what we live with every day and I say microcosm in spite of the fact that this is huge yeah but the interactions you'll have as a libertarian in New Hampshire on a daily basis are different than what you'll see anywhere else in the US I remember when when I was so I, I became a libertarian when I was 13 I I read the liner notes on a rush album that were dedicated to the genius of Ayn Rand I'm sure other people have a similar story but it took me many years to discover that there was anybody else in the world that agreed with me. And I, I ended up at a Foundation for Economic Education conference. And it was like, it was like magical. I'm like, wow, there's 20 of us. We can change the world. Um, but I imagine you guys, you guys gather 40, 50 people every time you get together in a, in a, like, it's not like this is a massively populated state either. Right. Yeah. And that's the, another advantage we have is just being a small state, you know, we can, have people from all over the state at a single meetup where, you know, I talked to an organizer in North Dakota a few months ago and she's like, well, I'm four hours from the next city. And yeah. so that, you know, that's a challenge that it does make it easier here for us. So He, he took your, oh, he took your talking point. Yeah. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so is there is there's a significant overlay between Mises Caucus and, and I would call them Ron Paul kids. Um, 
young people that were turned on in 2008, 2012. Maybe they're not all kids, but are, are you, were you turned on by Ron Paul or do you precede that? Uh, Ron Paul. Ron Paul. Actually, uh, I came from the left, so like you know, I voted for somebody in 2008, but Ron Paul, uh, it made sense to me. You know, I was looking, you know, it just spoke to me, and it, it sent me down that rabbit hole. Was it was it the anti-war message? Yeah, I mean, I've always been anti-war, and there seems like there's no party now that's really anti-war anymore. That's kind of what's feeling about the Mises Caucus as well. You know, it's Vietnam anti-war. So a, a big part of the 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 takeover was an insistence that the message coming from libertarians wasn't bold enough. And, and I'll, I'll start, I want to get into that, but I, I want to echo something that you said about, and, and you, about the, about the COVID regime. And I don't know about you guys, but I was shocked at how quickly Americans just laid down. It was scary. And, and there was a big opportunity for the LP to be the vanguard of fighting against that. Uh, and just with messaging saying this is overreach, this is violating the Constitution, this is violating every law or regulation that gives government authority. And you're right, it was it was alarming that there wasn't more pushback, but it was from the people. But it was also alarming that the Libertarian Party didn't fight that, and in fact, tacitly supported it. I would argue. Yeah. Uh, so that was a that was a big turning point, I think, for. A lot I was of shocked. I was on this big. Um, I'm forgetting the name of the app, but for a hot minute there was this app where we had these massive conversations amongst libertarians, it died quickly, but um, there was maybe three, 400 big L libertarians on this call, and, and my suggestion, this is like early 2020, it was like, this is our opportunity. Right. You know, really radical principles like, we should be allowed to leave our house, right. we should be allowed to work at our job. Operate our businesses. Operate our business, we should have control over our own bodies, particularly when the government's mandating that, that you inject something into it. Right. Um, and we should be allowed to speak our minds. Like I realize these are super fringy, radical <laughs> ideas. They were at the time, apparently. Uh, yeah. Everybody was scared to death, and I get that. But uh, but I, I did think that libertarians would sort of instinctually, immediately band together and fight right. that. You would think that would be the case, but uh, we had such messaging coming out of uh, LPNH before us, wear a mask. Right. So it's like when, you know, like I said, I'm a small business owner. When this whole thing came down, I was like, what am I going to do? Like, is this going to affect my business? They started shutting stuff down, and I was like, I don't know. I was hoping that like at least somebody would stand up. There was nobody standing up, and then you know the messaging from my party is, you know, wear a mask, and I was like, where? This is your time to like, you know, dig your feet into the thing, you know, just make a stand, and they're just rolling over. So it's kind of also so was it was it was that kind of a catalyst? Because obviously the Mises Caucus precedes. Um, lockdowns and and the government overreach on the pandemic but do you think that that frustration that there wasn't that voice was was a key part of your success in Reno oh definitely and I, I think a lot of us feel like if you can't get that right we probably don't have enough in common to work together yeah um, it, it just seems so blatant and obvious that you know as you said this is the time to take a stand no matter how unpopular it is. And if you, f if you fail to see that, 
um, then probably it's it, you know it's not going to be a good working relationship. So I, I think that did really galvanize a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so that I suppose that's part of the message, and that's kind of one of those rage against the machine things where at least now a lot of people are waking up to the 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 human damage that's been done over the last two years because of all these things that were supposedly for our own good but let's talk about the broader message like if if you guys want to turn on the next generation what's what's the pitch you're you're not just going to quote ludwig von mises are you (laughs) no i think the message has to be that people can own their own lives own their own you know, have responsibility for their own success, not rely on the government to put people into into positions based on the current, the fear of the day, whether it's COVID or nuclear war or whatever, that people, the government is an entity of the people, ideally. You know, we obviously hope it goes away, but to the extent we have one, take control, get involved, um, you know, state your positions, fight for what matters to you. And um, it's really shocking how little it takes to influence a state when you get involved. And it's, it's very easy to say it doesn't matter. I don't need to get involved. I probably can't change anything anyway. I mean, Michael Heiss took over the messaging of libertarianism and then succeeded in taking over the party. It's it's not that he took over the party, it's that he re-engaged the messaging of the party. And it's a very young crowd. I mean, I'm, I'm not the demographic of the Mises Caucus, um, but Michael brought back the messaging that shout matters. Out, shout out to the old guys, by the way. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely. We, we still matter. That's, that's right, but Michael re-engaged the messaging of libertarianism and then that's what led to the takeover of the party. People saw that there is actual libertarianism available, and it can be done within the framework of the party. And here we are today after Reno. And I think, you know, one event at a time, if it's COVID or if it's a 20-year war in Afghanistan or if it's inflation at at least 8.5% annually, regular people are going to start to see this thing is not your friend and it is not helping you and we need to figure out a way to organize society in a better way um, and we believe that the you know the the obvious solution is localism and you know breaking away from washington dc and and i think that's a message that can resonate with a lot of people the further this the further this thing goes so yeah Nolan, how are you going to convert every single person in New Hampshire to libertarianism? Well, first of all, I'll invite them to come to Porkfest. <laughs> you know, you have a. Uh, I think people have this attitude. They don't know that libertarians. Um, they're they're floating around. I mean, I, I was one of them. They're, they're they're floating around. They have these certain ideals, and they think they have you know. You latch on to a party because of anti-war, so now you're left. Or you, you latch on to, you know, gun rights, so now you're right. But there's so much in between, and that's, you know, it's letting people know that you, single issues are great if you want to work together with somebody on that, but, like, 
we're more than single issues. You know, we're you know, it's waking up these kids to let them know that we're here. We're not you know, we're so we believe in self ownership. We believe in uh, anti-war, and it's like it's not just a political party; it's almost a philosophy. It strikes me. Um, we were talking about the COVID regime, and it strikes me that the the centralizer, centralizers, the power mongers, are just getting started with dictating every aspect of our lives. And and one of the reasons that we so strongly opposed vaccine mandates was the infrastructure of social control that that creates, the, the Chinese social credit system and all that. So it strikes me that it's gonna become more, more vivid and it's not gonna be left versus right, it's gonna be centralized control dictating how you live your lives, mm-hmm. um, treating you kind of like farm animals, right? Exactly. You know, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna vax you today and we're gonna, we're gonna herd you in this direction. We're gonna determine whether or not your job is worth worthy of, of you having a job. And the alternative is, yes, it's individualism, but uh, what you said earlier, I think is, is almost more important, localism, bottom up, community solve, solve, problem solving, um, cooperation, and yeah. in, a, in a sense that, that you can, working with your neighbors, control your life in, in, in opposition to these faceless bureaucrats that want to control your life for you. And it's a better life. It's not just a practical matter, but re-engaging with your community. We've talked about that a lot. And finding people that agree with you or not, but you can work together and, and live a good life. It's, you know, it's more than just fighting the government. The government goes away and, okay, now what do we do? It's, it's building up a community of people that can work together and um, bring back values of you know, helping each other and cooperating, uh, doing voluntary activities, all the core libertarian principles. I think being a libertarian sounds like an exotic, weird thing, but if you talk to how most to people about how they would like to live their lives, the principles aren't really radical. Yeah, it's it's a very ordinary way to live. I, I like to hear that because um, there's this frustration that I have with libertarians, we're, we're very good at, at trashing the Fed and yelling about the federal government. Um, we struggle sometimes to talk about this beautiful thing that liberty is. Right. And it's not, am I being detained? It's, it's something mm-hmm. very it's, am rich. Am I prospering yeah. with my fellow humans? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, let's, let's talk about what happened in Reno. You, was everybody in Reno? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, well, we'll go to the, the new elected official, because we're going to start complaining about you, I, I assume, at some point. No, you should complain to me, and then if I don't engage in good faith, then you can complain about me. Yeah. So give us a download of the, the Libertarian Convention. What, what happens and, and uh, what's going to happen? Well, without imputing motives to people who were not Mises supporters... I think the convention was an exercise in diplomacy on a lot of sides. Maybe diplomacy is the wrong word, of politicking on a lot of sides. I think there was definitely a concerted effort to maintain the status quo. Um, So there were a lot of things that happened in convention that although were 
maybe obstructionist behavior. They were within the framework of how we operate a convention. Dilatory. Um, yeah, dilatory is, was the word of the day. Um, but there was, a, there was resistance to what was an obvious tide of takeover. Yeah. Um, so we went through a lot of that. There were a lot of vote counts, for instance, that took, you know, that were not efficient, we'll say, or, or, or timely. Um, but the overall mood of the convention was very positive and very excited. Um, I think the majority of the people there looked at this as a turning point where we can make the Libertarian Party libertarian again, a phrase we, we heard a lot. And um, I think there was the opportunity for the old guard, if we want to call them that, to present their case, to make their arguments, to try to win votes. And in the end, they didn't have a persuasive argument, and Mises, you know, took the day. Was it a, um, was the turnout substantially higher because of Mises' recruitment? I would say so. I don't know actual numbers to quote that. I don't know if you do. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. No. It, was, it was said that it was higher than most conventions. Yeah, and there, there was definitely more excitement because of Mises and among Mises' supporters um, that, yeah, we turned up. You know, there's an old saying, the party belongs to those who turn up. I can't remember <laughs> who said it, but um, Mises' caucus were the ones who turned up. Yeah. yeah. It, it struck me that and, and by the way, I stayed out of it. I, I let I let you all figure it out, and I've decided a long time ago that I'm not going to fight with my friends, and and these sort of party fights are for younger people than myself. But it struck me that if people are angry at a people participating in a political party for turning out more people to participate in a political party, they're probably missing the they're point, missing the point yes. of being a political organization because. Because that, you know, that, that, you know, whatever you guys have accomplished now, the, the challenge is like, how do we make it tenfold? Right. Whatever happened in Reno, how do we make it a hundredfold? How do we, how do we turn on people that have no idea who Ludwig von Mises is, who probably have never heard of the non-aggression principle or any of that, that stuff that we love to talk about after a few beers? Um, the, the real question is, can we, can we tolerate a massive community of people that is not going to agree on everything, but just on a couple of really important things. And I think that's a that's a challenge with fine-tuning the messaging and the platform, and there's been some activity, along with, there was activity at convention for that, to make, to make a strong libertarian platform that does incorporate the things that are seen as important to libertarians. Yeah. I mean, uh, to go with what you were saying, we can't expect to grow the party in the general public if we can't grow attendance at convention amongst you know our natural constituency of libertarians so you know there's platform work to be done to to have strong messaging that promotes libertarianism but that it acknowledges the fact that there are a broad spectrum of people and a broad spectrum of views in the libertarian party i think we've we've been successful in the yeah. three weeks or whatever doing that let me ask all of you to answer this question um, is it possible to attract both disaffected Republicans and conservatives and disaffected Democrats? Um, former, like, this is an extreme example, but 
you, you may have noticed that there's there's a lot of former leftists that are horrified at the authoritarianism coming out of the new progressivism. Um, can can we reach all the way across that spectrum, or do we have to focus on one or the other? And I'll I'll start with. I think we can. I mean, I think I think it's ripe for the picking. Actually, I mean, I I was fighting against my school board uh, during this whole uh, COVID thing about about masks and. Uh, my wife and I were probably the only libertarians in that whole uh, group. Most of them were probably constitutional conservatives, um, for the most part. You know, some just regular run-of-the-mill Republicans. Um, but they—they're starting to see things differently. Uh, a lot of them were were thin blue line, uh, you know, blue or die people, and they—they they saw. They didn't think that the police would arrest people. At school board meetings for not wearing masks, and uh, just in my school district, they did it twice. So they're 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 starting to see that you know this image that they have of these uh, people that they hold in high regard is, is is that it's an image, and they serve the state. So it they're they're coming around, and if we you know there's a lot of people just like that, and probably on the left side as well, uh, but it's just going to be for different reasons. So it's it's just reaching them getting our message to them and getting them over here because once once you start swimming in it like there's no going back i follow a lot of uh uh, self-identified former leftist moms who are so pissed off about how their kids are being treated by the government schools that they've been they've been red-pilled in 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 the literal sense not not in a political sense that they're like wow the system doesn't give a damn about my kids. I think that's a huge opportunity, that's and, that, that, and that's not that's not a right of center thing. That's coming from from a very very different perspective. That's getting to primal concerns of parents taking care of their kids, and when parents feel that the state schools are harming their children, it doesn't matter which party they identify with. Yeah. That's that's hitting close to home, and we do have an opportunity as libertarians to reach even a hardcore democratic constituency that's saying the state schools have now gone in a direction that is hurting my family. Uh, You know, your question about hitting disaffected on both sides, it's going to depend on why they're disaffected. Um, Economics is a a more esoteric kind of reason to get involved with libertarianism until you're hitting, you know, 10% inflation and then Austrian economics gets more interesting. Yeah. But some of these things like uh, COVID reactions hit very close to home very quickly. And we can pull those people in with the, with good messaging and, and good policies. Yeah, this is like uh, Ron Paul's moments um, to explain why we should have ended the Fed right. and how the government has has stolen from working people by, by inflating the currency and and. Unfortunately, that argument doesn't work until you have 10% inflation right. That's right. and people are looking at their, their grocery cart and saying, wow. Yeah. yeah, so I think that, you know, that issue appeals to everyone. Um, you know, Nolan's originally came from the left. I originally came from the right. You know, I was a George W. Bush Republican until 2008 with Ron Paul. Um, but so I, I think in our experience, I think I'd say it's almost an equal number from left and right. And, you know, on the schools specifically, our friend Carlin Borisenko, who's here in New Hampshire, she's here at Porkfest, uh, she found out about the Mises Caucus and got involved. And 
She's originally coming from the left. She was a lifelong Democrat, and her issue is the schools. I mean, she's she is, you know, she, she has the public schools, the CRT, all the mandates and parental control and all of that. Um, you know, that's that's her thing, and she's coming from the left. So I think there are lots of opportunities on both sides to pull disaffected people. I actually don't understand why the teachers' unions so aggressively jumped the shark on this because they inadvertently demonstrated to parents that weren't paying attention just how little they cared about their kids and then they're home and then they get to see the crazy curriculum that that's being and it's it's not it's not just curriculum it's the whole process of of just you know this regimented um, 45 minutes this 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 and this but and this is not how you teach children but they've been doing this for generations and even conservatives haven't cared. I mean, the, the, the private school movement, the homeschool movement has been a fringe movement mm-hmm. for, you know, it, you know, for longer than my lifetime. Uh, and so now I, I, I think that the reason was they just d- didn't believe that anyone could challenge they them. They thought they had total control. Yeah, they, yeah. they thought that no one, you know, there was no no, no risk to their power, yeah. and and then people start showing up to the school board meetings, and they're not interested yeah. in this stuff. Um, you, you mean domestic terrorists? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, those, those, those. I was worried I was going to be on a no-fly list when I went to Reno. It was like a little bit of fear because I, I did interfere with those school boards, and uh, there there was some altercations there. So <laughs> yeah, peaceful, of course. But. So this is part of my theory, and I. I could go. I, I just figured out what white pilled and black pilled mean, and I, my wife would accuse me of, of being really dark and despondent over the last two years. Like, it's over. We're screwed. We're never going to get our liberty back. But, but I also tend to be a short-term pessimist and a long-term optimist. And I remember, all the way back to 2008, when when all of the Beltway conservatives and libertarians with the exception of a few, were in the tank on the Wall Street bailout. And, and I, I thought it was over, like, this is it. It's, we're never going to bounce back. But then, then there was a revolution um, that was the Ron Paul revolution, the Tea Party revolution. Those things sort of mashed up and, and merged to a certain extent. And I think we're at that point today where people are going to be like, something's wrong. And they see it in their schools, they see it in our foreign policy, they see it in the cost of, of everything they consume, not just gas. So this is our moment, isn't it? It's definitely our moment, and like the things you said, when, when inflation goes up so high that people are going to have to worry about whether they can afford the gas to drive to their jobs, and that happens when two years ago gas was at historic low prices. It's going to make people think that, okay, there's something going on here that I don't understand, but this doesn't feel natural. All the oil in the ground didn't suddenly go away. The refineries didn't suddenly cease to exist. Um, this has to be an effect of some government policy. Uh, I think if we can push that message, you know, that Ron Paul's message that government is going to interfere with you know, the economy, make things worse. This is something we can point at that says, okay, Ron said this. Hey, look, look what happened in the course of two years where suddenly 
you're running your thermostat at 60 degrees in the winter because you can't afford to buy heating oil anymore. Yeah. So it's it's a good example. It's 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 like an A/B test. We didn't have this before. Now we have it. Government actions brought this. So here we are. So so I always gravitate towards sort of the national big issues, but I want to I want to flip it over and and go local because we're here in New Hampshire. Um, I love this experiment. I've, I've been to the Free State Projects Pork Fest maybe six times now, and it gets bigger every time, and it gets more vibrant and diverse. I think it was uh, it was uh, our good friend, uh, is it Jeffrey Kaufman? Jeremy. 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 Why am I saying he Jeffrey? Close by. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll clean that up in post. U.S. Senator Jeremy Kaufman. My, my yes. senior mom. Future Senator Kaufman. Yeah, future Senator, Senator yeah. Jeremy yeah. Kaufman. Yes. Uh, but he pointed out in a tweet that you have um, uh, acid-taking nudists and um, uh, church groups coexisting in right. the same community, which is not an exaggeration, I suspect. It's absolutely not an exaggeration. Um, I'm, I'm happy that we're not too uh, rose over because when we had Dave Smith on the show last year, we had a very naked dude walking past the, the thing behind us. and. Well, don't and, jinx us. Yeah. yeah. Well, who knows? Who knows what will happen? But, but I sort of love that dynamic that everybody gets along. And, and this, this is the, 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 the Free State Project vision of things. Um, but, but you're head of the LP here in New Hampshire. What, uh, what, are, what are your priorities? Like, like, how are you guys going to make New Hampshire a better place to live? Well, one, we... Uh, LP did not have a good relationship with the FSP prior to this. There was almost like a schism. They, 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 and uh, I really was hoping to, to kind of heal that uh, that issue and, and merge the two because, I mean, we have people that are uprooting their lives, leaving family, leaving you know everything behind to move here for freedom. And those are the people that I want at LPNH. Those are the people that are willing to fight for it. Those are the people that believe in it. Those are the people that are going to show up. Those are the people that are going to put in time. And uh, that's that's really what I'm hoping for is, you know, tapping them into to LPNH and getting them, like, active. You know, obviously I want everybody, you know, this, you know, I want locals here, you know, people that lived in New Hampshire, free staters, not free staters, people of the free state, you know, here. But this is a basically a natural resource that I, I really want to, you know, be involved with. So yeah, and one of the one of the first things I did when I was organizing the Mises Caucus here was I met with Jeremy Kaufman. He's on the board of the Free State Project. Dennis Pratt was one of the very first people I met at the first convention I went to. So immediately started networking with these Free State Project people and saying, "Look, we we would like to be allies. I mean, we have everything in common. There's no reason on earth why these organizations shouldn't be able to work together." And you know, that our combined powers and combined efforts have to be better than our individual efforts, so. Yeah, we had people in the FSP who were totally disinterested. When I say in the FSP, FSP participants is kind of the term of art we use because FSP is a a framework for moving here to engage, to live in a more liberty-oriented way. But we had FSP participants who were totally disinterested in the LP. Right. Because the LP messaging, the LP approach wasn't obviously pro-liberty. We have very strong activists 
in New Hampshire, activists for liberty, who had no interest in being part of the LP. And I don't think, I think it's too early to have numbers on LP membership increases in New Hampshire um, as a result of what happened in Reno. But I've talked personally to several people who now I can join, this is a party I can join. And I think if we can keep pushing that message, we can pull in a lot of free state, uh, free staters into the LP and just strengthen what we already have. So one of, one of the crown jewels of of the Free State Project and you know all the organizations, I'll use that one, but I realize it's a network of organizations, is the, the presence of liberty legislatures within um, the Republican Party mm-hmm. at the state level. Um, what, do you, what do you do about that? Your, your job is to get libertarians elected, but there are libertarians who identify as Republicans being libertarian in the state house. I mean, yes, it's my. I, I would say my job is to get liberty or freedom. And I mean, if it if it's happening one way or another, I mean, I'm, if we're moving the needle in the right direction, that's what I'd like to see. You know, it's you know we talk about coalitions, not directly a coalition, but you know, if if it's going to help, why would I want to not help? If me doing something is going to have a negative effect, even if it's for the right way right reasons is that really beneficial i would say no yeah and we're very self-conscious about not interfering not opposing the good liberty republicans of whom there are great many in the state legislature in new hampshire so what about uh what about nonpartisan races we talk about localism is do you guys think that the some of the best opportunities in state our school boards and county councils, that kind of thing. Yeah, and the Mises Caucus specifically, um, I think last year they gave away about $30,000 to specific candidates around the country, and they will only support, they will only financially support candidates at the county level and lower. So sheriff, uh, mayor, uh, school, school board, board budget committee, things, things like that. So that, that it, from the Mises Caucus standpoint, that is absolutely you know, a major part of our strategy. Is that is that a new project, or do you already have success stories at the local level? Um, I we're, we still are kind of just starting to get organized. Um, we, had, and, we had a few things going on, but we're we're moving yeah. forward at a great rate. Yeah. So we have um, we have a couple of candidates lined up, I think, that are interested in different local races, and then we do have. We have our governor candidate and our U.S. Senate candidate. So, and you've occasionally run like legislative initiatives. Yeah, we did introduce, or we, we provided the uh, a defend the guard bill to one of our allies in the explain, legislature. Explain to people what that is, because some people I discover don't don't. It's it's really a cool issue, and some people don't know what that means. Yeah, I mean, I, I think even nationally, and Robley we might did. comment on this, but That's I think defend the guard is one of the highest priorities now. Of, of the new LP and the Mises Caucus, but basically the Defend the Guard bills would say that uh, the governor may not deploy the National Guard without a congressional declaration of war or an actual invasion of the homeland, which are the constitutional authorizations for war. So it would basically hamstring all of these never-ending regime change, non-declared wars 
overseas from being able to send the National Guard out. So that's the idea. And it's been at this point, it's I'm not an expert specifically on defend the guard, um, but I think it's been introduced in 27 or 29 legislatures already. And I think it's even passed in one state. Um, so, yeah, that, that's an issue that's very important to us. And we think, you know, an example of a local initiative of a nullification effort that really could have a major impact on national foreign policy. Yeah, and that was one of the first actions we took in the first LNC meeting in Reno. At the close of convention, we had our first meeting. The Defend the Guard resolution that passed was one of the first courses of business. So it's that, that important to promote or to support local people against D.C. federal overreach, which is what Defend the Guard is seeing. You know, this is overreach by the federal government to take the, the state guard people who signed up to support their local communities and send them off to a war overseas that nobody cares about. So. Cool. Let's, uh, let, let's wrap up with this. Uh, the, the main criticism that I've heard at the Mises Caucus that it's, that it's, it's a takeover, it's a hostile takeover, and that you guys are an exclusive club and then that you're going to drive other types of libertarians out of the party. Is that, is that true? It, it doesn't have to be a hostile takeover. I mean, we, we believe that we would like to bring the Ron Paul revolution to the Libertarian Party, and we believe that Ron Paul's vision of liberty should be something that w should appeal to anyone who actually believes in liberty. And we can work with people from the left, we can work with people from the right, but we want it to be a party that is truly committed to those principles. And if people are willing to work with us, you know, we are working with a lot of people who have been involved with the LP previously and, and don't have a problem with what we're doing. So, I mean, we, we, we started out, we, our chair was not Mises Caucus and we endorsed her. We, you know, we wanted to work with everybody. We did not, at least in New Hampshire, we didn't start anything. We did, you know, this was a complete shock to us. We did not put this in motion. If you want to say if there was like a hostile feeling, I would say that would be from the opposite side, from, from my experience. Well, you actually come from the left, so I feel like you're, you're an example of, because sort of the, the vibe of the criticisms is that it's, that it's a takeover from the right. But I, I never thought of the Ron Paul coalition as, as, a, as a right thing. It's a liberty thing. Right. It's a liberty thing. Yes. It's, it's not a hostile takeover. It's simply a, hey, you guys were driving in the wrong direction. We're getting back on track now, and we want you to come with us. But uh, we, ha we have to get it going in the right direction. Work for liberty, work to support the principles of liberty, and try to move messaging in politics at large um, and just get, get liberty back on on the national agenda, especially after the past few years. I just remembered another question I want to ask. Um, and we were talking about this before we started. And I, I think it's an interesting debate and a, and a reasonable one for various types of libertarians. Uh, Justin Amash was recently arguing that the only purpose of the Libertarian Party is to elect candidates. Otherwise, it shouldn't be a party. Um, I have argued 
and I, I've stolen this from Ron Paul's candidacy that, that politics, presidential politics in particular, but politics generally is a cultural soapbox through which you could turn young people on to ideas and values when they're actually paying attention. And I, I, think, I think the view of the Mises Caucus, um, the way that, that Angela has, has spoken of it, is that you, you want bold messaging, you want to turn people on, you want to build a community. Um, wh where are you guys on this debate between electing people and, and, and turn, building a community based on liberty? Well, first off, I think, I think most everyone in the Mises Caucus thinks very highly of Justin Amash. I think that is a tactical disagreement. And, um, you know, we believe that... Um, getting 8% of the vote or getting 3% of the vote is not really the focus of what our efforts should be, but that we really do need to change the culture. And so what we need is someone who can get people excited, who can make people think about things in a way that they maybe haven't thought about them before, like Ron Paul did, uh, and, and can ignite a broader movement that could start to influence the conversation nationally and that's how we would start moving toward a freer society not just by focusing on maximizing the number of votes in this election this year that we just don't think is is a sound strategy they've been trying to do that for years and where has it gotten us i mean we have to build the culture first and hopefully you know that's everything else will follow yeah we have to get people excited about liberty and, and make that the key thing rather than getting votes you know, like like Nolan said before, if there's a, a candidate at a local level who might say, I'm a Republican, uh, but they have liberty ideals, that's a person that we all benefit. When that person's in office, we all benefit, even though they don't have the right letter after their name. So I, I think getting liberty into the, into the discussion, making people understand that what we're living with is not liberty, and there's a better way. That's the big message. We're using the Libertarian Party as the main vehicle, the main organizational structure to do that. But liberty is the message, not the party. And the original founders of the party, you know, people like David Nolan and Murray Rothbard, said specifically that while it is a political party, and so obviously, you know, we're going to run candidates and things like that, that the main goal is not to just instantly start winning elections, but to be a vehicle for t introducing people to the ideas so all right cool well thank you guys this thank you very awesome. much thank you. matt thank you cheers cheers thank you very much that was great thanks guys guys Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed that show, make sure that you like and subscribe. Click the little bell so that you get notifications. And if you consume this via podcast, go wherever you want to go. We're everywhere. Kibbe on Liberty. The revolution starts now.